0: chapter 21. Last week we saw that Jesus came and appeared to his disciples the third time after his resurrection. They're in Galilee, they're waiting for him, and yet Peter says, I'm going fishing, and so they do all night, catching nothing. They see Jesus not knowing it's him, and he says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, which is the right side, It's not right or left for us. It it was there. It's whichever side Jesus tells you is the right side. And we discussed that last week, how these guys were spoiled for the world, that they they had a new journey they were taking. And it wasn't about fishing. It uh, It was about serving God. It was about being fishers of men. So In verses uh, 12 through 14, he appears to them, and he's on the shore, and he's building up their faith. And Jesus said to them as they come in with this catch of 153 fish when they'd caught nothing all night. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and eat breakfast. He's got breakfast right there cooking. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Yes, Jesus prepares for them. Jesus is building their faith. Jesus is going to set their direction, and on top of it, he's got breakfast ready for them. Pretty cool. Pretty great, our Lord. We'll read on, verse 15. So when he had eaten, they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I just stopped there and go, if he's ever going to talk to anybody, like real straight, It's always going to be Peter, isn't it? So he said to Simon, but it's good, it's good. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now the language is, the first two times he says the same, pretty same words, the language in the Bible, is written in Greek. They weren't speaking in Greek, but it's the tone that John is able to receive from the Holy Spirit when he writes to give you the sense of what's happening. So while we know that Jesus didn't use the word agape, necessarily, he was speaking in Aramaic, most likely. The word that John uses to describe the intensity of Jesus' word and the clarity, it's still right. just want you to know that. They weren't speaking in Greek. Nonetheless, If you did the Greek, right here in front of us, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with an all-giving, sacrificial love? The the word that the Greeks created but hardly ever used, and it kind of became obsolete for the Greeks, and only the Christians picked it up. Agape, you've heard that word a lot, if you've been around Christianity. God's all-giving, sacrificial, we say, unconditional love. Of course, there was a condition. The cross was the condition. Anyway, Peter answers, Lord, you know I love you. We'll feed my sheep. But when Peter answers, Lord, you know I love you, each time he answers, he says I in on the page here phileo you, which is the Greek word for brotherly love, a lower level, kind of like Peter's kind of found out that he's not quite so sacrificial and all-giving that he can use. And and though he doesn't though the words may not be exactly there, When they spoke, the words are here before us for a reason because John is able to see what's going on clearly by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, you know I love you, three times. So when they, um, second time, he said to him again a second time in 16, Son of Jonah, do you agape me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you agape me? No, no. This time Jesus says, and if you look at the language, he says phileo. He lowers it down. He says, okay, do you love me like a brother? Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time. And that's because really it's just the word love, love, love in their language. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Listen. Um, Peter has lost confidence. He had said to the Lord, I will lay white. Everybody else may give up on you. Everybody else may run from you. Jesus, you say we're all going to forsake you, but not me. Remember? You remember that. Not me. These guys may be bums, but I'm the real deal. I'll be there for you, Jesus. I'll, not, I'll go to prison for you in Luke, and I'll die for you. Jesus also said to Peter, Oh, Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. He's asked for you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, and when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Doesn't sound like somebody who's trying to diss their friend that's failing, is it? Even beforehand. So, Peter's grieved and, 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 you know, we might think that Jesus is taking Peter back to rub his face in it. Three times he denied he knew the Lord, right? Three times Jesus says, do you really love me? And you might think, oh, wow, what a way to kind of bring a guy back and make him feel the shame of his sin. Let me suggest to you, Jesus isn't taking Peter back for that reason, but he knows where Peter is. And Peter is stuck. Peter's kind of stuck there, and he makes Peter face it openly, not to put his face in it, but so he can go forward. The way to get past our failures, and if you're in here today and you don't have any failures, then you actually are from another planet. (laughs) And you should probably teach us, but use English, because we don't know your language. If you're here without failure in your life, Uh, Well, you know, can I be honest? I'm going to. I don't believe you. (laughs) And none of us do. No one in your life believes that you don't have any failures. We might not know them, and we don't necessarily need to. But everybody's got them. And the way to get past failure, being stuck in it, is you first, you have to own it. Friends, brothers, sisters, countrymen. (laughs) You got to own it you got to say, yeah, it's mine. It's not just because of other people, though they may have influenced you horribly. But you can't get past it if you don't own it. And then when you own it, listen, you do grieve over it. When I meet somebody who just never, ever deals with any pain and just says, oh, Jesus takes care of it, Jesus takes care of it, Jesus takes care of it, la, 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 and they never have a moment of sorrow or grief over their own failure or trouble in their life, I don't trust them. And I don't mean I'm picking on them or rejecting them. I'm just saying I, that's not reality. Reality is we, when you fall, when you fail, you grieve. When others fail you, you sometimes grieve. When someone dies that you love, you grieve. Grief is a part of life. But if grief overtakes you and traps you, especially in the regard of your own failure, so that you're consistently crippled by guilt, God does not have any intention Then that's where you be. That defies the work of the cross. We don't do it intentionally. We're not judging each other for this. We're just trying to help each other move forward. And, you know, Jesus... <laughs> Did not bring Peter to this point to show him just his failure, but he had to own it. He had to grieve over it, which he's already doing anyway, and then he needs to believe the Lord that Jesus knew it, that it was going to happen, that Jesus has shed his blood and died and resurrected for not only Peter, but for now for the people that Peter's going to feed who are just like him. And if Jesus can see past your failure, so can you. You might not be able to do it right this minute. You might be stuck right now. But God wants to deliver you from being stuck in your failure. And he will. To walk with God is to know failure for sure. But you know, Paul, the older Paul got, the longer he walked, he went from being on the least of all the, of the apostles to... I'm the worst of all sinners. And he wasn't hating himself. He wasn't down on himself. He wasn't sitting in a corner ineffective and just, you know, staring at a wall. He was preaching the gospel and doing all these things that we wish we had the strength to do. But he understood in the light of the gospel in the light of Jesus Christ, the closer he got to God, the more he saw his heart and knew how much he needed a Savior. But he also knew he had a Savior who was real to him. To walk with God to know failure, but it's also to know restoration even better. That's to walk with God. is to know failure. We're not escaping it. We're not pretending it's not there. But it's to know restoration better. You know, the Albany, how many of you have taken a tour of the remodeled state capitol down in Albany? We have one? We should give you a prize. <laughs> Another tour. <laughs> It was built in 1791 or something for $25 million, which is the equivalent of $1.5 billion right now. It was restored in over uh, 2000 to 2012 about for $48 million. And they were getting a deal, your tax dollars at work. <laughs> it is beautiful. It, they have stairways and hallways that are just back areas. I've walked through it. First service and second service, everybody's house values put together here would not add up to some of those stairway areas of how much they're worth in terms of the labor and the you know, the artistic work on all the little gargoyle things on all the ends of the rails and up the stairs and all the marble and all this stuff. It's crazy. Really? Not not even your house, Tom, would not add up. It's, Restoration is a lot of work, but the end result is so beautiful. It takes a lot of energy and effort. If you love me, and I know you do, Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't say, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you, Lord. Well, I'm not so sure you love me, because you failed me. And furthermore, I don't want you near my sheep, because you're a bad influence. You're negatory. <laughs> he said, ah, feed my sheep. Feed the flock, tend to the lambs. And Peter got it because in 1 Peter 5 he says to the other shepherds, elders, bishops, I am one. And here's what I want to say to you. Feed the flock of God that you've been entrusted with. Not for money, not by constraint like, oh man, do I have to? Do I have to make this phone call? But willingly, cheerfully. Because the chief shepherd's coming, the real shepherd's coming with his reward. Now, you might say today, well, that's great. I'm glad that pastors and Peter and elders can be shepherds and have this big calling and all. I'm not a pastor. I guess that leaves me out. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not out. You're in. You see, that might not, you might not realize this. I might not be able to speak. (laughs) We're not all pastors, but I say that in the church, in the body of Christ, in our relationships in life as Christians, there's always these three relationships that need to exist, and, you, and I would hope and pray for each of you and myself that they happen simultaneously, for they should. They're ongoing. Now, you can, don't, don't measure yourself and say, I'm just out of it, but look for some direction here, Okay. I'm looking for some direction, maybe an open window or the air conditioner, because it's warm in here, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I, well, most people said yes, so, so maybe up here, not back there, you're going to freeze out the people at the back. If you do a window, do it over here. Okay, stay with me. Uh, don't worry, there's enough hot air going to come out. I'll warm you up. Okay, but not this. This is good word from God. Okay, I, in my opinion, this makes sense, biblical. We have three relationships. One is you have people that are ahead of you. You do have people ahead of you. We all have people ahead of us. There's no ultimate person on earth who's the ultimate king of spirituality and wisdom. There are always people ahead of you, and it could be your pastor. He's teaching you and all of that. It could be a friend or a neighbor that mentors you. It could be a husband or wife or somebody or in some other situation that you have at least one. It could be the the person you listen to on, on internet, but they're not really involved in your life. So don't just go with that. But to have people ahead of you, that's what, when people who are young in business, they look for a guy who's been successful. When people are young in their family, if they're smart, they look for somebody who's been successful with family, and they kind of look at their life and see, they don't try to copy everything, but they learn from them, you follow, right? We should all have somebody ahead of us that we're looking to. But then again, on the second level, is we need somebody next to us, arm in arm, co-laboring with us, walking with a walk with the Lord, friends who are, who are spiritually tuned in, who are at a, a, with us, and that we're encouraging each other. And, and by, yes, you can encourage somebody who's ahead of you, absolutely. I get a lot of ministry from people who feel they're following my lead, but they actually minister greatly to me. We're not doing a pecking order. We're doing a guidance for spiritual growth. You have people next to you. You walk with people who, like you, are seeking the same journey, right? If you don't, you're pretty lonely. And you're also stumbling more. If you don't have somebody ahead of you, you're not really having a pattern to follow. You can sit all day alone with your Bible. You're not really going to get where you need to go. It's not written to one person by themselves. It's written for the individual and in the body of Christ. And then you have people behind you. And guess what? You might, not have, you might not see right now in place that you have somebody ahead of you that you can look to. You might not. You might not see that you have an arm and arm person next to you to walk with you spiritually or two or three. But I guarantee you have people behind you. You just maybe haven't turned around to look if you don't think you do. There's people coming up behind you. If you're in a family, if you've got children, it's obvious if you got younger brothers and sisters. It's obvious. But it goes beyond that. People who are on the journey, but they're shorter time or less development on their journey spiritually than you. By the way, if you get bored with Bible study, there's a reason. And it's probably because you don't have anybody you're pouring into that you need help with. Because if you only come, listen, when somebody's new in the Lord, they're coming and they have a right to do this we bless that come and get filled and get helped and get strengthened and just let god minister to you we're not asking you to be anything or do anything other than as god leads you but you know it doesn't very long before you start realizing you need people ahead of you beside you and behind you that you need you can't just come for yourself forever Because if you've been going to church and involved in the kingdom, and it's all about what you can get, what you're going to get for you, for you, for you, you're getting stagnant. My pastor was much more aggressive than I. I'll tell you what he said. You can judge me for it, but judge him. (laughs) He said it's like getting spiritual constipation. It's like you're taking in, taking in, and you're not working it through. And I don't mean to be crude at all. I'm trying to make a point, and I hope I'm not grossing you out. Because the goal here is to understand there's got to be a flow. Sea of Galilee has life in it because it's got water coming in and water going out. You go down the River to the Dead Sea. And Dead Sea has water coming in but no outlet. And it's called the Dead Sea. And that topography is a picture of our lives. If it's all about me. You need people behind you. And if you have them and you get it then you're not getting bored with Bible study because you're trying to learn everything you can so you have what you need to pass on to the person that's behind you. You're intent. If you're a note-taker for other things, then you're really a note-taker at church. I know some of you aren't because it distracts you to take notes. And because your pastor's all over the place, it's hard to follow. You know, crazy. Okay, (laughs) But some of you, maybe you need to rethink that. Are you getting what you need out of the studies here or anywhere else? Are you hungry for the Word of God? You don't get filled up because you went to a service or heard a teaching, and you don't need any more. You're constantly feeding and constantly giving. Just like if you're working your body, you're constantly eating and giving your stale strength and constantly burning it off. Okay, so we need people in front of us and next to us and behind us. So when Jesus says three times to Peter, feed my sheep, a guy who failed as bad as you can fail as a true believer, he's a guy who's being restored as greatly as you can be. And his picture for us is valid even if you're not a pastor or shepherd. Amen? Does anybody agree? If you don't agree, just write a letter. Don't scream. All right. 18 through 23. Most assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter. When you were younger, you girded yourself, you got yourself dressed up, you know, pulled your belt up, and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple. This is the other kind of looking behind you. This is not the good one. Okay. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper. And who's that? John, the writer of the book. And said, his best buddy, too. It says, Lord, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, verse 21, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will, if it's my will, that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Yeah, Peter, you're going to have critics. There, you know, people were going to go cock-a-doodle-doo when he was preaching. People that were mocking the fact that Peter denied the Lord three times. You know how, what you do with critics? You outlive them. It doesn't mean you, wait for, you hope they die quick. <laughs> when you have critics, you outlive them. You outlive their criticism. You just keep going. Take criticism that is meant to help you and don't be offended by it. That's foolish. The, uh, Proverbs are full of stories. Of, the, the guy that will not receive instruction is a fool. On the other hand, you're going to have criticism that isn't meant to help you, but it's just to pull you down. You have got to outlive it. To point out your past failure, not, not to help you, but to just put you in your place. Outlive it. Outlive your critics, and so Peter, in history, tells us that exactly what Jesus tells him would happen. He would end up all the disciples, but John, we believe, died a, a martyr's death, persecuted death. And Peter, when they were going to said, "We're going to crucify you like your like your master," and he said, "This is from tradition, but it seems fairly. It's it's a few places. It's a strongly spoken one. I don't know if it's true, but he said." I can't, don't crucify me like my Lord. I'm not worthy. Turn me upside down. And that's the reason Peter was crucified upside down. So Jesus gives him great affirmation, incredible restoration for all of Peter's struggles that he's been through. And he gives him prophetic utterance about, You're going to fulfill the word that you promised me and you're going to do it for my glory. But Peter should have a t shirt right now. Be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Or, I'm a work in progress. You know, somebody need to hand this guy the t-shirt because he's the ultimate guy, but he speaks so much to all of us. Here's Jesus saying, follow me. Look to me. Here's what I'm doing with you, Peter. Peter's just got to turn around and look at his buddy John. You know... I've been rebuked publicly by Jesus probably a hundred times. It says here, this is Peter, you know, all, all the things Jesus said and did, The books couldn't fill them. Well, probably 50 or 100 of those books would be Jesus saying, no, Peter. <laughs> You're wrong. Stop that, Peter. Get over it, Peter. Please be quiet, Peter. <laughs> we only get a little bit of it. Does anybody relate to Peter here? John was rebuked privately, or, you know, just him by himself, but it wasn't him and his brother James. James and John, they were called by Jesus the sons of thunder. Actually, they were pretty fiery in the beginning. We want to call down fire on these people. Jesus said, no, no, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. He rebuked them for that. But, you know, that was about it that you see. And then John's just, it's like this. Peter looks at John. This is my sense of it. What? I don't get this. Like, all... I try so hard. Yeah, I mess up. I get all these hard things. And here's this guy, John, and it's his buddy. John, John has the easy relationship with you. It's just like he's always leaning on your chest. He gets to ask you the personal questions. He's always, you know, ten, you're always tender with him. I never see him get rebuked. What about him? How come, What's the deal here? Oh, Peter, 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 Peter. You have this great opportunity to just just let the Lord's word sink in. Just let his work be done. Just turn and follow him. He's giving you so much right now. And you don't get it. And you don't get it. Because you're looking around at somebody else. What's God doing with him? What has God given to him? What's God going to give to him? What's God going to require of him? Look at what God's requiring of me. When's God going to require that of you? I'm watching you, and I don't see you going through what I'm going through, and I'm not real happy about it. I'm really talented and gifted, and I'm getting this. And why is this guy? He's a bum. I mean, he's a good Christian. I love him, but he's a bum. (laughs) Why is he getting all this? Now, I'm saying what you would never verbally say, because you're all such good Christians. But the attitude could be there. You know, Jesus told the story. Well, first, let me say this. John 10, Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's a thief that wants to steal from you. And one of the things he wants to steal is your joy. And one of the ways he'll still steal. <laughs> Your joy is to have your eyes on other people. It's a guarantee. It's like taking something that's precious to you and putting it out on uh, Interstate 87 in the truck lane only and let all the big trucks just run over and crush it and then a big uh, thunderstorm come and just wash all the little pieces away. It's like you're doing that in your own heart you're getting robbed, you're getting ripped off, you're getting cheated because you're living in comparison with other people. Jesus told an interesting story. It's not meant for political purposes and political campaigns. God cares about the rich oppressing the poor, and they're accountable. Okay, When you oppress people in any way, shape, or form, there's an accountability before God. But Jesus tells another side to the story. He says, to the Pharisees and religious leaders who thought they were better and deserved more and all this stuff, and that's the context. He goes, and for anybody who'll listen, <laughs> he says there was a certain landowner, and he went out in the early morning. It's a 12-hour workday. Let's say 6 to 6, we're assuming here. And he went out at 6 a.m., right outside, and got the guys standing in the day labor line, you know. Come on, you guys. You come here and work for me for a day and I'll pay you a day's wage. Okay, great. They go work. A few hours later, he goes out and grabs a few more. They come in. A few hours, a few more. A few hours, a few more. It's about the fifth time. The fifth time is now at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And he has these guys come and work for an hour. And then the day ends. That was the whistle. They had those back then. Okay. And then they line up. But he says, you guys who started at, at 5 o'clock, you've come up here front. Front. You guys that started at you know 2 in the afternoon. You guys at 11. You guys at, at 9. And then you guys that started at 6 a.m. And he hands the guys who started an hour ago and worked for an hour. He gives them a full day's wage like he promised the first guys. The guys at the back go this is our day, man. He just gave them a whole day's wage. We'll probably get, and I'm paraphrasing the idea, we're probably going to get like five days wage. This is great, man. Only they get up to the front of the line, and everybody got a day's wage, and that's exactly what they get too. And they look at him, and if it was a Jewish guy in Israel today, or in New York City, what am I, chopped liver? Oh, you don't know that one. Okay. (laughs) So it was a very good joke. I'm going to blame it on you. All right. (laughs) Sorry. I I know these things. The guys go, what's this? Or in Hebrew, I guess you'll like this better because you guys like Hebrew. Mazah. What is this? (laughs) That's what mazah means. Okay. What is this? We work the whole day long in the sun in the heat of the day and these guys come in for an hour and you pay them the same wage you paid us. And wouldn't that be your attitude too? Doesn't that make sense to you? That, does, that something's wrong here? Maybe Jesus isn't talking right now to the guys who worked for an hour. Is he? If you're the guy that right now, you're the guy right now says, yeah man, that doesn't make sense to me either. Now Jesus is talking to you. To you, it's on the front of your bulletin take what is yours and go your way doesn't mean he's chasing you away he's saying to these guys take what is yours and go your way I wish to give this last man the same as to you is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things or is your eye evil because I am good have you ever heard the term an evil eye It's not talking about like a witch going, you know, (laughs) and casting a spell and they got power zapping out of their eye. It's not. If you go to the Old Testament, it uses the term an evil eye. It's speaking of jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. When you are envious of what others have and jealous of them, that's an evil eye. It means your focus is based out of a heart that is unthankful for and unable to see what God has done for you. This is the world as we know it for many, many, many people. It's the natural state of us all to look at what somebody else has or does and gets to do and say, why not me? Now, if it's motivation that you do better to accomplish more in a healthy way, that's great. If it's envy and frustration and distance from you and God because he's not being fair to you, you're missing a whole bunch of reality. And it says here that our eye is evil because he's good. See, he has the right to be kind and gracious to people around you. And what I want him to do is simply be kind and gracious to me, but I haven't earned, I haven't earned, I haven't earned the kindness and grace I'm getting right now. I keep going back. This year is the year that I read Luke 15 about the younger son who came to himself, but I don't believe he came all the way to himself because he said, I'll go and say, Father, I'm no more worthy to be called your son, which meant he thought at one point he was worthy. But even the older son thought he was worthy all the time. And it wasn't about their, their self-worthiness. It was about their father's love for them, which was consistent, but they couldn't see it. Neither one of them could see it. They couldn't see the truth of their father's love, their heavenly father, for us. Is your eye evil because I'm good? Do you look at God's goodness to others with envy and jealousy? So, our thoughts are not his thoughts, and by the way, John would live longer than all of them. What is it to you if he stays here till I come back, which wasn't what happened, or what Jesus said would happen? He just said, "What if he did? What does that matter to you, Peter? why How come you're letting your joy and your relationship with me just fizzle out the bottom of your shoe right now like psh- you're just losing everything I just gave to you. And Jesus isn't saying it this way, but you're just you're, you're throwing away everything I'm giving to you right now, looking at John and wondering why he is this and that, and you're not following me. And you think you're going to have joy and purpose and strength when you're looking at other people and comparing yourself to them? All you can do there is say, well, I'm better than that guy, poor guy. Or I'm better than that guy, how come I don't have more? Or you're going to just find somebody who is doing better than you and you're going to feel like a loser because you're not as good as them, as rich as them, as good as whatever as them. It's a wasted time of energy and it's worse than a waste because it robs you of your relationship with God and what he has for you. So... John would live the longest, we know that, because we know that he lived to be over 90. He wrote the book of Revelation when he was secluded and abandoned on the island, a little dirt clawed island, a rock island of Patmos, and God came to him there, sure, but he also, before that, his story of persecution is horrific. They tried to kill him all these different ways and couldn't kill him, the near the Caesars. He suffered a lot, but he lived a long life. You know, I know people that want to live to be 100 you know now i saw the 106 year old lady that danced in front of obama at his at the president at the white house and and that was cool she's still strong and here's a here's a lady i mean what did she grow up with being black in our country 100 years ago as a 6 year old and now she's standing i don't care what your political view is that's totally off the subject she's there with the president of the united states And she's able to be in the Oval Office with him, and she is dancing. And my heart just left when I saw that for her. And I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to live to be 106, I want to be like that. But if it's just to live a long life, you know, most people that are that old say, I don't know why I'm still here. I hurt all the time, and everybody I know is dead. But people want to live to be 100. I mean, I'm not saying live a short life. I'm saying live a meaningful life. And the rest will fall into place. You know what I mean? Live a meaningful life. So, uh, there's a point here, and I'm going to get to it. (laughs) John would live the longest, but he suffered a lot. You know the saying, walk a mile in my shoes, or their shoes? But it's more than that, too, because really it's, you don't know where their shoes are taking them on their next mile, either. Right now is your time for difficulty, but it could be theirs just coming up. Stop doing that. You're robbing yourself. You're taking a hammer to your hand, really to your head, really to your heart. God, help me stop doing that and help me see. The problem is I'm not seeing what you've done for me. My eye would not be envious and jealous if I understood who you really are to me. And, and folks, God's not going to give up. That's what he wants for you. It's not, he's not fixing all this. He wants to fix you from the inside out with him because that's what will stabilize and strengthen you and that's where the joy is the fruit of god's spirit in your life and it doesn't come from outside sources so some things never change you know immediately after jesus says this they all went to their twitter (laughs) john's gonna live forever jesus said "John's." they they took selfies with him this is the guy that i told you about he's gonna live forever So you don't need social media for gossip and untrue statements to go out. It helps. They go out faster (laughs) with social media. But you can do it even with just word of mouth. And so that's what went out. And then finally, finally it says in verse 24 and 5, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things also which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So, hard to believe what we've said. I could paraphrase John saying, you might have trouble believing what we've said, but I've only told you like 1%, not even 1%. And it's all true. And John could say he doesn't hear, but he could say, and all of us who are going have gone out from there, because John's writing this looking back, right? This is years later, writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going forward. We all fell short. We all denied, you know, we all ran from the Lord. But now we're here to say he's risen, he's king, he's Lord of all. This isn't about us and who we are. It's about who he is. And we're going to, this testimony that we're giving you, we will seal it with our blood. Now, he didn't say those words there, but what did the the apostles do? They all died as martyrs, not martyrs blowing themselves up, martyrs giving their lives to share the gospel with people and being killed for their faith. So they would seal their testimony with their own blood. But for all of us, our faith is sealed, whether we may suffer for him or not, our faith, everyone's faith that's sealed is sealed by his blood. I'm pointing to communion, sealed by his blood. The cost of our restoration was the life of God's son. Far more than $48 million or $480 billion or $19 trillion or any amount you want to put on it. It cost God everything that was precious. He gave you the only thing that cost him to bring you salvation. And that's why you don't have to be envious or bitter because what he did for all, he did for you personally. That's communion. God restores us by first facing our sin, maybe even taking a moment or more, needing to grieve over your sin, but then moving forward and bringing that grief to the table and laying it at the feet of Jesus and knowing that if he can get past your failure, and he can, and he did, you can. If he can get past your failure, you can. Because you He says to you and me, follow me. So the people ahead of you are good help, but you don't just follow them. You always follow Jesus. Father, as we prepare to take communion, to receive this together today as we end this service, and end this Gospel of John, we pray that you would foremost help us all to have an eye that is clear, that is not clouded, By envy and jealousy or self condemnation, but that we would see you clearly. We can't come to your table, take your body and your blood represented in this cup and this bread, and not be thankful for what you've done if we really see this that you've given us over that which we deserve. We have not earned your grace, but we welcome it, and we believe you want us to bury the past in forgiveness and live the future in resurrection. Lord, come to us today. Heal us, meet us, and help us receive what you've already given. In Jesus' name.